entrepreneurial, leadership, intellectual, This is the Cultural Connections Podcast. And good afternoon, everybody. My name is Brian Ives, and I am the producer and the host of the Cultural Connections Podcast. Before I introduce our guest today, I want to remind all of our viewers that are tuning in uh, with us uh, that we are recording this episode live on Friday, June 23rd, 2023. This episode is being live streamed to Facebook, and following its initial live stream will be distributed on multiple other platforms. So if you're not tuning in live, you're likely tuning in either watching on YouTube, Instagram, or listening on one of our many listening platforms. Uh, today on the podcast, we have an extra special episode for you. We are going to be demystifying autism, and we have an expert in the field here to talk to us today. We are joined by Brenda Dater. Brenda is the executive director of the Asperger Autism Network, uh, known as AANE, in Watertown, Massachusetts. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Brian, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, it's great to again have you here, and I'm looking forward to this discussion. So before we go any further, what I like to do with our guests is I like to have our guests um, give a little bit of a brief background. But before I get to that, I want to remind viewers at home, if you have a question today during the podcast and you're watching live with us, please feel free to comment below, and we will take them live here while we're on live on Facebook and answer your questions for you live. We'll be monitoring the Facebook feed. So uh, without my first question to you, really, is can you give us a little bit of a brief background about yourself and uh, introduce yourself to our guests? Sure. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So welcome, everyone. I'm Brent Dater, and um, I am, I've been with AEME for over 16 years. Um, I first came to AEME as a parent. I'm a parent of three, now adult offspring. My oldest child is 27-year-old autistic trans woman, and her name is Rachel, and she loves me to share that. Um, and so, and then I have two other children who are um, 22 and soon to be 19, um, college students and college graduates. And I, um, my background in the area was I, even before I had my kids, I worked in um, the disability field and early intervention and working in rural and urban areas, trying to help um, communities coordinate their services and make sure families and individuals' voices were heard. So I've always been tied to the community. And then when my daughter was born, um, she got an autism diagnosis when she was three, and uh, that led me to AME when I moved from New Jersey to Boston, and I hoped that there were services for autistic kids in schools um, that were similar to what we had in New Jersey, and I made a phone call to AME and said, you know, I'm a mom of an elementary age kid, and I really want to um, understand what services and supports are there. And I have to tell you, the person on the other end of that call, it was so much more than just giving me resources. It was like, for the first time ever, I felt like she understood what my life was like and what my kid's life was like. And uh, I really found a home. And I said to my husband, when we moved to Boston, we had to move next door to AUV. 
and we live 10 minutes from AME, so not very far from AME. And I've been, um, so I came to AME as a parent first, and then I um, started working with AME soon after that. And I've been working here, yeah, since 2007, and um, most recently as the executive director. That's great. A very, very impressive and a very nice story. Um, I guess my next question to you is because I, I, I think one, uh, a lot of our viewers who are going to be tuning into this podcast are going to be wondering what AANE is for those that don't know. Can you give us a little bit of a brief introduction to what AANE is and the and how the, what, what the organization does? Sure. Um, so AANE was founded about um, 27 years ago by a group of parents and adults and professionals um, who knew there was a group, there were a group of folks who weren't really being served in the community and their needs weren't really understood very well. And so they formed a conference, they had a conference and um, they thought, hmm, well, people show up in a standing room only. And then they had conversations and decided maybe we need to do more than have a conference. And so AEME was born in 1996. Um, and I think one of the things that really has always drawn me to the organization, just some overarching things, are that um, it's always been this collaboration between autistic adults, autistic, um, and family members who have autistic children, teens, or adults, and professionals. Um, and I think that mixture is really helps us serve you know, not just autistic adults and teens and family members of children's and adults, but the whole community that um, is working to support each other. So what AENI does is we're really um, a national organization. We serve people come to us from all over the country. We're based in Massachusetts and we have strong ties in New York and Massachusetts. And we serve people from all 50 states and about 80 countries. So people come to us from all over the world, which is why we love cultural connections because it's all about all over the world and different cultures. Um, we um, basically, we serve folks in three, there are three different ways we kind of provide services. If you think of what we do and what we have to offer folks, the first would be um, individualized services because we know no two autistic folks are the same and neurodivergent folks are the same. So things like you can call us or email us and they really ask us any kind of question. We get a lot of questions about adults later diagnosed in life and wanting to understand how to do that and how to find a community. Um, we offer coaching. So one-on-one -on -one coaching for autistic adults, teens, and parents, and also neurodivergent couples. Um, we also have coaching for. Um, and then we have... Uh, a sort of life um, living more independently support, but that's just based in Massachusetts, but if people are for adults. Then the second big bucket, um, Brian, is really the groups. Um, we offer lots of group services, so support groups, interest-based groups. If you have an interest, there's probably a group for you, um, and social groups. And I think one of the things that's really important in those is that we serve a lot of intersectional identities. And what I mean by that is um, with the LGBTQ plus community, for example, we know that trans folks are about three to six times more likely to be autistic. And so we have a lot of groups for the LGBTQ plus community and folks who identify as autistic or neurodivergent. So we have 
lots of groups for them. Um, we also serve a lot, um, we have a lot of groups and supports for women who are autistic because often women in the past have been underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Um, so there's that. And then we have groups for people of color who are also autistic. So um, I think the groups is the second big bucket so people can find their community. And then the third is training. Um, and we do a couple of conferences a year as well as provide community-based training to mental health organizations, employers, schools, um, on all kinds of topics. We always have autistic adults, you know, um, involved in those trainings. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, I think well, this will come out as we're talking about autism and AE, but I think, you know, the other thing that really drew me to AE, in addition to that autistic adults have always been part of the organization, is that it's in the governance of the organization. So our board and our staff and our volunteers, many of whom are autistic as well, or family members of folks who are autistic working together. Um, and then we're very much strengths-based. We're not a medical model that you need to change something about yourself. Um, we really want people to be able to be their authentic selves. And we know that's really hard in a lot of spaces. Um, and we don't require a diagnosis. So if people are listening and they're saying, but I don't, I don't have an autism diagnosis, that's okay. If our services or programs could be a fit for you, we're happy for you to come to us. And um, we're happy to help you find either with us or with other people, things that you need. And I'll stop there. That was a lot. All right. Well, no, that's a, that's a lot of great information. It's really amazing. And we're going to get more, dive deeper into some of these resources that AANE has to offer a little bit later on in the podcast. Um, but again, before I go further, I do want to just remind those tuning in with us that are just tuning in now. This is the Cultural Connections podcast. We are live on Friday, June 23rd, 2023, at, um, live on Facebook. And we are demystifying autism with our guest, Brenda Dater, Executive Director of the Asperger Autism Network, known as AANE in Watertown, Massachusetts. Um, I guess my next question to you is thinking back, looking backwards a little bit here with the history of AANE. I, I know, obviously, from what you just said, AANE is a global has been has a global reach. It am I as I understand it with A and E and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the organization started out as a getting at that global reach. How did what how did A how has A and E grown? Let's say in the last 15 years, what what steps has it done to allow them to grow to the point where they now have this global audience? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Brian. No, we started so our name has changed. Mm -hmm. a lot through the year, uh, two times through the years, um, or the second time will be this summer. So I can't announce it yet to your group, but we'll put it up. We'll put it up as a comment once it goes live Stay in tuned. August. Stay tuned. But um, when we formed in 1996, we were the Asperger's Association of New England. And it was very much Massachusetts based in New England and things were in person and we focused on very local resources. And as we grew, um, people started finding us online, um, searching for things that we certainly could talk to them or email them no matter where they were from, but really the majority of our work was in person. Then in 2013, the Asperger's came um, out of the DSM and was replaced, you know, that population was subsumed 
the, sorry, the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. So how people get a diagnosis in the States, United States. Um, and so that language came out and we thought, well, we don't want to miss people who are newly diagnosed. So we changed their name in um, 2014 to the Asperger Autism Network. So we still hold, you know, the Asperger terminology for people who are still using them and we add in the autism terminology. Um, and so in 2014, that broadened kind of came to us that started happening. And then it was really the pain and we were doing more, we started doing more online things like webinars and workshops online as well as in person. And then what happened of course in 2020 was COVID hit, the pandemic hit and we very quickly shifted everything online. So all our workshops, all our groups, whether they were social support or interest-based like book groups and crafting groups and an artist collaborative and all these things just shifted online. And what happened is our um, population grew from a, um, mostly Massachusetts and New England and New York to national within a very short amount of time. And so um, we, we served about 30%, 30 to 60%, depending on which program, more people from all over than we ever had. And so it was really the pandemic that shifted that. And as we've come out of it and people are gathering together again, one of the things, the online groups, um, we run anywhere from 40 to 70 groups at any one time. And, and their peer, many of them for adults are peer led. So other autistic adults or neurodivergent adults leading groups for the autistic or neurodivergent folks in the group. Um, people said, do not, we surveyed the population, do not get rid of the online groups. This is the only place I've ever found that has groups like this for me. So we're, our main mode of service delivery is virtual. So that is what's happened. That is that shift. We do a few in-person things. There are certain services that need to be delivered in person, but for the most part, we're a virtual organization. Um, and all the things we offer are not geographic dependent. Absolutely, no, and, and it's impressive. And I'll do, just throw it out there. What, what's impressive to me, I mean, seeing this all, especially being technology with my technology background, is that I've seen, especially from the pandemic, most companies and organizations struggled to go from being in that in-person environment to virtual, and it, it was a struggle to make that switch. Whereas with a and &E, I can honestly say it seemed like it was a flawless switch for you guys that, I mean, you I mean, instantly, I mean, when things had to change and we had to go, you, everyone had to go virtual, it just seemed like everything was able to flawlessly change. Everything was, I mean, was a, it seemed very smooth. You would not have known if there were any Rocky Mountains to climb to get through it, but it seemed very smooth and that's very impressive. Uh, oh, well, I'm glad that was the user experience, certainly on our side. It, it, there were a few more, I think there were a few more bumps than that, as I recall, going through that, but um, with getting enough Zoom licenses, for example, and things like that. But like even coaching, you know, we, we really didn't do much virtual coaching before COVID and now, so many adults and teens tell us they love the virtual coaching and the coaches love it too and it really works for folks and they tell us folks tell us like we've removed barriers because they don't have to figure out transportation to get to something and they can turn their camera off or use chat 
features. And so it's not, it just allows a lot more for stimming and things like that. So I think there's a lot of benefit in our community for those. Absolutely. No, I 100% I agree with you. I mean, it definitely, I can hear what you're saying with that, and I would agree. Um, again, I just want to remind all of our viewers that are just tuning in, this is the Cultural Connections Podcast. I'm Brian Ives, producer and host. Today on the podcast, we are live on Friday, June 23rd, 2023, and we're live streaming this on Facebook. It'll be available shortly thereafter on other platforms like YouTube, Instagram, and many other listening platforms for you to choose from. And we are demystifying autism with our guest, Brenta Dater, Executive Director of the Asperger Autism Network, uh, known as AANE in Watertown, Massachusetts. I guess my next question to you as we move forward here and we talk about autism in general, because I think as well in, in general, a lot of this, especially I think recently in the news in relation to um, autism diag diagnoses, has increased, if I'm not mistaken, over since the pandemic, with a significant number, if I'm not mistaken, if I recall correctly, um, has because the number with the increase of people getting diagnosis for autism or looking to get that information rather, has that contributed, do you think, as well to your volume and your increase in people wanting to get and being interested in taking part of the services that ANA has to offer? Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's true. Yeah, that's a great point, Brian. Um, I think that lots of folks during the pandemic, they had, they were downtime, they had time at home, they were researching stuff on the internet. We had a lot of adults coming to us saying, I took this quiz on the internet, or I, someone suggested to me I might be autistic. And so we, we fielded a lot of those phone calls and helped folks find other autistic folks they could talk to and, and groups and things like that, as well as maybe how to get diagnosed if they want a formal diagnosis. Um, and I think the increase in numbers is really just, we're getting better at understanding what autism looks like across the population. Um, women and girls have always been and anyone who's more internalizing in their behaviors you know a lot of the formal measures of diagnosing autism were really normed on boys who had behavior issues and mm -hmm. so if you didn't show those things and you might be a boy or a girl or you know um or um non-binary and you and you were more internalizing in your behavior or your, how you were thinking about things and internalizing, I mean, like, you weren't a behavior problem in the class, basically. You know, you weren't speaking out and you weren't talking over other people or whatever the behavioral signs uh, teachers might look for. Then you often got missed. And I think those, we're, we're starting to see that um, diagnosticians are understanding that autism is much broader than that and how to measure and look for that. And so we really look, we, we do a lot of training about that. Um, what are the tools and how to help really identify girls and women who may be autistic? Um, so I think you're just seeing a better understanding, a better awareness, um, more training, and um, people also themselves are self-advocating, you know, they're saying, I've looked at all this and, you know, I've talked to a lot of autistic folks and I've read these articles and I, and, um, so they're coming to their diagnosticians with much more information. 
Absolutely. No, I think that that is very true. I guess that my next question to you here then is uh, the fact too, I think one of the things that's also recently changed is the terminology around autism. There's been a lot of, oh, especially over the, in recent years, been a lot of changes. I think specifically one that comes to mind is the fact that the term Asperger's, which is a form, well, at least was known as a form of autism, as I understand it, is no longer being used. Uh, it's no longer the correct. It's no longer the correct term, uh, so to speak. Uh, how has this evolved? I mean, has does this confuse people more? I mean, how do you work with the, all of these changing in term in, in terminology and then get communicated properly to people that want to get an understanding? Right. Oh, such a good use. Such good questions, Brian. Yeah. So we we spend a lot of time thinking about talking about language. It's so it's ever evolving, um, and it's very people have very strong feelings about different using different terminology. And I guess the first thing I would say is that AE, no matter what language we use as an organization we would never tell anyone else what language they should use to describe themselves and to what language speaks to them and they identify with. So we get calls from people who use autistic on the autism spectrum, neurodivergent, Asperger, Aspie, um, you name it, we've heard it. And we don't tell people what language they should use. Really, that's, that's up to each individual to make that decision. I think there have been two big shifts in language. And there are wonderful studies out there. I don't know um, if you or your audience know about uh, Autistic Not Weird. It's a, it's a man out of the UK who's autistic and he has um, a website, podcast, uh, <laughs> blog, he's got a variety of things. And um, he did a survey about language. And the language and it was he did it in 2018 and he did it again in 2022 and I can send you the links um after this if you'd like our viewing audience as well yeah yeah absolutely so um what was really fascinating was he he had I think over 11,000 people respond to the survey many from the U.S. and the U.K. and out of that number very large number of autistic so I think he had like 7,000, I'm not going to get these numbers exactly right, we'll have to look at the survey, but around 7,000 autistic adults, <laughs> um, so don't quote me, we'll quote the survey when I said to you, but um, so lots of autistic adults responding, which I thought was great, and you can see this evolution of language in two fronts over those five years, and, and I've seen it too, just in the numbers of folks coming to us, a shift away from what we call um, person-first language. So person-first language is to, to put um, like person with autism versus autistic person would be identity-first language. When I went to graduate school 30 years ago, it was all about person-first. You know, the person is not a disability. You always say person with what X, whatever the X is, whatever the disability or diagnosis is. But that really has changed with disability rights movement and thinking of autism and being autistic as a culture and an identity and not solely a disability. And so there's been this big shift from saying using person-first language to identity-first language. 
Um, so we hear a lot more of I'm autistic, I'm an autistic person um, versus I'm a person with autism. So that's been one big shift. The other is the language people are using. So Asperger's was a much bigger term five years ago. It has really shifted. You can see it in the Google searches, you can see it in the surveys. Um, and so autistic and autism and neurodivergent and neurodiversity are used much more now than Asperger's was. That said, I think the challenge, especially for folks, is that people felt a really strong affiliation, many people right. felt a really strong affiliation with Asperger's. And so it feels like a loss of an identity if, if that word goes away. So we have, a, we, over the last 18 months, we've been having those conversations with our community, and, um, really listening a lot and thinking about how to make sure everyone knows they're still welcome. Because we, like I said, they are changing our name. Asperger's is coming out of our name. And um, I can't share the new name yet because it'll be out in August, but Right. I can just say, like, that was a really important process to make sure we listen to everyone, we talk through our, why we want to do things. And I think, really, at the end of the day, the, the thing that really resonated with me, um, there are a few reasons she'd want to take Asperger's out. One is the DSM. Um, it's not that isn't in there anymore. Two is there are links with to Hans Asperger, who, the, who Asperger is named for, um, with Nazi Germany and in, in Vienna, sorry, and um, during World War II. But the third one that I hear a lot from autistic adults is we want to be more inclusive. And it feels very exclusionary to, to highlight that piece. And so, um, and as an organization, we've always served folks who have been who didn't, were not diagnostically based. You don't have to have a diagnosis, but if what we offer can serve you know, can meet your needs, that's fine. We welcome you. And I think we've always served folks who were outside of that profile. Um, and if we work for them, that's great. And we don't want people to feel like they can't come to us if they don't have a particular diagnosis. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that it's really great to see how welcoming uh, the organization is. Before I go any further, I do want to one more time here to remind our viewers that are just tuning in with us now on the podcast that this is the Cultural Connections podcast. I'm Brian Ives, the host and producer of the podcast, and we are recording this episode live on Friday, June 23rd, 2023, live on Facebook. And then shortly after the live stream, this episode will be available on YouTube, Instagram, along with plenty of other listening platforms for you to choose to, to listen to this podcast if you'd rather listen than watch it. Um, my next question to you, and I said we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to dive a little bit more uh, deep into the services and the resources that AANE has to offer for those that don't really know. Can you tell us a little bit more about the difference? So let's start with the different support groups, because you had, I mean, if you if one was to actually check out your website today, you would see a lot of different support groups for a lot of different that read reach a wide array of different people. Can you explain to us a little bit about the groups, the support, let's start with support groups, the support groups that uh, AANE has to offer. 
Yeah, I'm happy to. So I think, um, again, when our new website launches in August, it's going to be even clearer. Our current website, I think it's a little hard to see all those things. So if, if you go to the website and it's confusing, please email or call us. We're happy to help you better understand those things. Um, and the groups really fall into, I would say, two to maybe three categories. The first is support groups, and they're peer support groups, not therapeutic support groups. So what that means is they're almost always, not always, almost always led by um, a peer to the group. So for instance, I run a parent support group for parents of transition age um, adults. So 18, parents of 18 to 22 year olds. I'm a parent of a 27 year old who's autistic. Um, and so we try and always have people who have lived experience as well as like my backgrounds in public health and social work. And so um, I ran groups even before I had, you know, a child who was autistic. But, and then our adult support groups um, are run uh, also so much, excuse me, also most of the time by peers. So other autistic adults, we have a training program to help folks train in how to be a group facilitator. And peer support groups are really a chance for folks to share their experience, learn that they're not alone, that there are lots of other people like them out there, and really offer support to each other and share ideas and have a place really where you can feel like, oh, finally, you know, someone else understands the life I'm living. So I think um, those are People say they are very helpful and they feel much less isolated when they join those groups um, and they're forming friendships and connections through those groups. So those, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Um, so the support groups, so that's one type of group. And the support groups also are broken down because people want to define either by age, so like parents of young children, there are support groups for. Parents of older adults, there are support groups for. Grandparents neurodiverse couples or partners. Then there's also support groups for older autistic adults. We have a huge older autistic adult population over 50. So we have over 50 support groups. I mean, over the age of 50. Absolutely. Groups for them. Um, and then lots, like I said earlier, groups for women, young women, older women, women who were just recently diagnosed later in life. Um, and a lot of LGBTQ plus groups as well and trans groups. Yeah. No, no, that's great. Uh, let's also talk a little bit about you all, besides these support groups, you also offer a lot of different social groups too. Can you, in the, again, like the support yeah. group, wide array of options for people to choose from? Yeah. So um, we, you know, you never know how the social groups are going to go online, but I have to say they, they went really well during the pandemic and so we're sticking with them so we have things like game nights movie nights um D, D trivia things that you can join online if you'd like those things um we also just have social groups for women we have social groups for lgbtq plus like a queer social group um and then we have things based on people's Interest, you know, we try and keep those groups around interests. So things like a crafting group, a writer's group, um, a science and technology group, a philosophy group, 
and uh, a book club. So there's, and it changes. So we try new things and, you know, if people come to us and there's a lot of folks who are interested in a topic, it might be a group we start. So, oh, we have a movie group um, uh, where people discuss movies and different TV shows. We've done anime in the past, you know, so we have, what we really try and do is similar to the meetup concept, like there are a group of people with similar interests. And so how do we pull them together? They're looking to be with people who like what they like and want to talk about those things and share their experience with those things. Um, but in a space where it's not like we don't teach social skills, we're not a social skills group place. We don't offer that. Right. Um, there are group norms and group rules that the group itself makes up. So it comes from the group itself, which I think is really helpful. And then you can be yourself. If you don't want your camera on during a group, you don't have to have your camera on. If you want to use chat instead of talking verbally, that's totally fine. So I think it's a really um, safe space for folks. Absolutely. No, that's absolutely wonderful. Um, I, my next question to you is, in addition to the support groups, the social groups, there's more to that that A&E has to offer. It keeps on going. Uh, two of those things include a, a paid services that A&E has to offer. And the two that come to mind is you have two different programs. One is called the Life Map Program, and the other is called the Life Net Program. Can you tell us briefly in our last few minutes about those two programs and what they are? Yeah, so Life Map is available anywhere virtually. That's the coaching program, and it's it's really helpful for folks. So it's one-on-one -on -one coaching for adults or older teens who have particular goals they want to work on, and we have very experienced coaches who really understand autism and neurodiversity, and will like whether it's an employment goal or a social goal, you want to make more friends, or you want to. Um, be more comfortable going out in the community, or you have a job, but you're struggling with pieces of your job. Um, we even contract with employers to do job coaching virtually with folks. So the LifeMap coaching program to anyone who's listening is available anywhere. And um, we've been doing that program about 15 years. Um, and it's been, uh, people say that it's been really helpful to them. The LifeNet program is really um, a case management program. It's really about helping people live more independently and, and really expanding that safety net or that circle of support for people. So adults who join that program, and right now it's only in Massachusetts, it's a new program. And so we'd like to keep things a little bit smaller uh, as, we're, as we learn from it and we go with it. Um, but that's been a life-saving program for folks who are either living on their own or living at home and want to, you know, eventually live separately from their parent or caregiver. And um, so it's things like, bill, pay, you know, how to help with bill paying or, gee, I have to report with my doctor and I keep talking on the phone or I just had surgery and I need to go to rehab and how do we arrange all that and so LifeNet steps in and really it's not so much skill development as it is that supportive case management and direct service person being available to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, no, no, that's, it, it, it's impressive. It's really all of the services, all of the resources that A&E has to offer 
really is incredible. And in our last minute or so here, can you give our audience, if they are interested in finding out more information, how can they reach AANA? Sure. Well, certainly you can go to our website, uh, www.aane.org, and that won't change even if, our, even if our name changes. You can email us at info at aane.org, or um, on our website, you can go to the contact us form and fill it out, and we're happy to get back with you. Great. Well, that's very inf great information. And uh, we will have on our on the description here of the podcast on all of the platforms links to the information on how to reach a and all that information. If you just missed it, we'll make sure to have it linked. But uh, it is amazing how fast a podcast goes by. I swear these five faster every time I do one. I want to thank specifically here Brenda Dater for joining me on the podcast today. This episode again has been fabulous and we've learned a lot about an amazing and valuable organization that I know so many can easily take advantage of. If you have questions or comments or suggestions for future episodes of the podcast and would like to reach me directly, you can email me at brianives at gmail.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-I-V as in Victor, E-S at gmail.com. Again, you can submit ideas for future episodes and send your questions or comments my way. Uh, I want to again thank Brenda for joining me on today's podcast. Look for some more episodes of the podcast coming up in the near future. For now, I'm Brian Imes. I'm the producer and the host of the Cultural Connections podcast. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Thank you again for watching this episode of the Cultural Connections podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch this episode again in its entirety on our YouTube channel. This podcast is also available on listening platforms Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Radio Public, and New TV. Thanks again for watching this episode of the Cultural Connections Podcast.